Praise God. Well, last service this morning, or both service this morning, you know, we were, uh, we were in my office examining our faith. And uh, the Apostle Paul told us to examine ourselves to see if we're exercising our faith and producing the proper fruit that we should be producing. And we all need to be regularly checking up on our faith to see if we're using it for our marriage, see if we're using it for our physical health, see if we're using it for our finances, and so on. And uh, we saw this morning that no matter where our faith is in terms of level or productivity, that it still can be perfected, it still can be strengthened, and it still needs to be encouraged. And so we never arrive. We're all going to have to continually hear the Word of God on a regular basis. That's why Jesus said you can't live by natural food alone. Your body can, but He said you can't. And as long as you're in your body and you want to really experience the life uh, that God has for you, you got to live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So we got to be uh, living by God's word. And then I gave you my definition of faith. Faith, in essence, is a belief in God, His word, and His ways that persuades us to believe and say and do everything God says, even in the midst of contradictory circumstances. And I could say, especially in the midst. <laughs> Because a lot of people, they, they say they're faith people when everything's hunky-dory, peachy keen. <laughs> everything's calm, cool, and collective. But then when all stuff starts turning south on them, then they, then they quit acting on the Word of God. And we've got to be like the wise man. Remember over in Mark chapter, or uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 27 through, uh, 24 through verse 27, when he talks about the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man is the one that keeps doing, even though it's storming, flooding, wind blowing, house being beat on, meaning his life being beat on, but he just kept acting like the word was true when it didn't look like it was working. And he came out the other side of the storm and his life was still all put together and still going strong. That's what we've got to be like. So, uh, and then the main, main, main thing that we zeroed in on this morning is that our faith uh, gets its energy, becomes active and operative uh, in God's love. Faith works by God's love for us. And faith will always work when you believe God loves you. No matter how much you've screwed up or missed it, your faith will still work if you believe God loves you. And the more you get in the scripture, you'll find out God loves you no matter what you do. He must have because you were really ungodly when he got you saved. <laughs> Christ died for the ungodly, right? We all qualified. And then I gave you 29 reasons why faith is important. We'll not go back over those right now, but um, let's, let's, I just think it's a good place right now to go to Romans chapter 12 and, and just show us that uh, we all start out at the same level. But even more important than that, that the level of faith that God starts you at is enough to overcome every obstacle of life. I mean, even just a little small mustard seed of God's faith can move a mountain in your life. And God gives you a lot more than that. So we're going to just uh, see that, that God's good to every one of us. We all start at the same level, have the same opportunity to operate our faith. We can all walk and live in the blessings of heaven just as much as the man that's walked with God for 40 years and has the huge ministry and all that that we uh, hold up and esteem highly and say, man, he's the father of our faith, whatever. Uh, you can operate in the same level of faith. In fact, we saw this morning two uh, ungodly people that operated great faith. That really changed my perspective on faith years ago. When I saw that, I realized, wait a minute, faith is not uh, something that comes by quantity. Because a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of people in, the, in our what we call faith churches throughout the world as I've traveled I've seen a lot of people well if I can just confess that a thousand times I'll be healed you know if I can just hear that a thousand times to just build my faith then I can have faith like T.L. Osborne or like Brother Hagen or like this person or like that person but no those, those two people the Syrophoenician woman and the centurion they'd never been to Ramah <laughs> they, they'd never heard my scripture CDs <laughs> teaching on faith. They've, they, they've never confessed a thousand times about Jesus. All they did is just made it a quality decision to believe, which then showed me that faith had nothing to do with quantity, but all to do with quality, quality decision. That's powerful. 
that you can operate in faith. And then especially when you see what we're getting ready to read here, you can operate in faith. You know, we, we found out this morning we live by faith. And Jesus said have faith, didn't he? So if he said have it, that means we have it. It's interesting if you look up that word have in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. That word have means to have and use. You don't have to look up the Greek word to figure that out. You could go ahead and read the next verse and, and determine, okay, he must be talking about having and using it because he said, have the faith of God for whosoever shall say. And he starts talking about using it. So that means you and I have the faith of God and we can remove mountains, mountains of sickness, mountains of poverty, mountains of depression, mountains of fear. You can remove any mountain in your life just by releasing your faith from your heart, through your mouth, and then staying, staying fixed there. Not being moved, regardless of what it looks like. So Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I'm going to again read from the New King James. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to everyone, or each one, a measure of faith. King James says, the measure uh, of faith, whereas the New King James says a measure of faith. But when I looked up the Greek, it's actually not two words. It's not the is a Greek word and measure is another Greek word, or a is a Greek word and measure. Actually, it's just one word. It's metron. It's the Greek word metron, which means a measure of God's faith. And it indicates that it's a uh, it implies, the Greek word actually implies a limited portion or a limited degree of God's faith. I got to thinking about that one day. I thought, you know, it must be a limited portion because I haven't seen any faith person create a star or a moon or a sun yet. <laughs> I haven't seen any faith person create universes. I think God knew what he was doing by giving us a limited degree that would take care of any problem in our life, but, but just leave creation of universes and galaxies up to him, you know. <laughs> Amen. But the, the word metron here is, is a measure, but it's a measure of God's faith. It's not uh, a one measure for one person and a one measure for another person. No, when he says it's a metron, it means God has given everyone a metron or the metron. doesn't matter which word you use, a measure or the measure. He's given every single one the same metron. Every single one of us have the same metron, that measure of the God kind of faith that'll take care and, and move any kind of mountain, praise God. So we, we all start out with the same measure, God's no respecter of persons. And no, notice it says right here, who gave us the measure of faith, God gave us the measure. So this is a degree of God's faith. If the measure of faith that every one of us has is a gift from God, then this is a measure or degree of, of heaven faith. Sometimes that just sounds so cliche-ish, but man, meditate on that. Think about that. God has given me a portion of faith, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't give you a, a little portion that wouldn't take care of things. God so loved you, he gave you enough faith to believe for the biggest thing of all, the recreation of yourself, the new person in right standing with God, with the ability to stand before God with no sense of guilt and no sense of inferiority, knowing that sin has not existed in my life. I'm a new person. And you use faith for that, the faith that God gave you, that gift of faith. So the measure of faith that every one of us have is a gift from God. It's a measure or degree of God's faith. Now, let me just pull in another verse here just for a minute because I've, I've talked to some people that it confused before. Hold your place. We'll come right back here and jump over to 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 2. 2 Thessalonians 3, 2. It said in the New King James that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Well, Romans says that God's given every man the same measure of faith. Here, it appears to be saying all men don't have faith. So do we have a contradiction in Scripture? Obviously not. We know that if we rightly divide Scripture, read it in context, and then let other Scripture interpret Scripture, it does not ever contradict. Uh, so if God's given every one of us a measure of faith, 
every single human being at some point must have God's faith or every person couldn't get saved. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, so that tells me if whosoever means everyone, then at some point in everyone's life, they have a measure of faith to get saved with, right? So what does this mean here when it says all men don't have faith or all not all have faith? Well, when you read the context, again, that's how you rightly divide. Go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and not that and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. In other words, there were ungodly people who did not have faith in God. They were trying to stop Paul and his team from doing what God had called them to do. In fact, when I read a couple other translations, they really make it real easy to understand. Listen to God's word to the nation's Bible. Also pray that we may be rescued from worthless and evil people since not everyone shares our faith. Another translation, the easy-to-read uh, version says, And pray that we'll be protected from crooked and evil people. Not everyone believes the Lord, you know. <laughs> and the Living Bible says, Pray too that we may be saved out of the clutches of evil men, for not everyone loves the Lord. And then the New Living says, Pray too that we would be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. So that lets you know it's not contradicting in Romans chapter 12. Let's go back over to Romans chapter 12, verse 3 now. And what I want us to see here is that God has given every one of us the same measure. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he thought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we all start on the same level on the same playing field. That's good news, isn't it? Because I used to think, man, if I could just someday be like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Well, God created you that way. When you got born again, you got a measure of, of God Almighty's faith enough to move any mountain. And you can just use that faith. In fact, when the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith, Jesus said, you don't need any more faith. You need to use the faith you have and start speaking. That's a whole other thing. We'll... See if we get there in a little while, but uh, God is no respecter of persons. So he's given every one of us the same God faith that will take us anywhere in life. But I did find it interesting when I was uh, studying faith through the four Gospels and then uh, some of the Paul, uh, Pauline epistles, I was noticing uh, that Jesus pointed out different degrees or levels of faith, if you will, when he was teaching, and I think really what it is, when, you, when I, I'll read some of these to you here in just a minute, these different levels, I think what it is, is it's a degree of the release of the faith that people have. Since he deals to every one of us a metron of his faith, then everyone can operate great faith, but then you can operate little faith, because Jesus said so. And then I saw other scripture where Jesus said this one was full of faith and this one had no faith. And then another scripture that says he was strong in faith and he was weak in faith. Another scripture that said somebody had unfeigned, which means sincere, unfeigned faith. And another person that has vain, unproductive faith. Another, another one that said this person has growing faith and another one that says dead faith. Another one that says established faith. Another one that says shipwrecked faith. Another one that says steadfast faith. And another one that says failing faith. So when I started seeing these, I, I saw there were different levels or degrees. And I quickly came to this conclusion. I do not want to be part of the little faith, no faith, weak faith, vain faith, dead faith, shipwrecked faith, failing faith club. Amen. I want to be part of the great faith, full of faith, strong faith, sincere faith, growing faith, established faith, and steadfast faith club. Amen. But here's what I saw when I looked at all of those stronger and better faiths that we want to operate in. I, I thought, you know what? Which club, whether the little OE of little faith club or the great faith, what club we belong to depends on where we focus our attention each and every day, especially when we face tests and trials. That'll determine what club you belong to. So I think um, at this point, 
I, I would think, and you would probably agree with me, the best place to start when you talk about faith is with Jesus. Right? So let's go over to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and look at the one that's the very beginning and essence of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. In fact, I'll start reading in verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. This is telling you how to never be down and depressed and discouraged again, never have another blue Monday the rest of your life. It said, look to Jesus and consider him all the time, lest you get wearied and faint in your minds. Wow. I started doing this years ago, and guess what? It works. I haven't had a down day, a stress-filled day, a strife-filled day, a depressed day, a discouraged day, get my feelings hurt-filled day. I haven't had any of those in many, many years. It's actually been decades. I hesitate to say that sometimes because people think, oh, come on, Brother Larry, get real. But no, it's been decades. I don't have them. I had a supernatural experience with the Lord. He taught me. I didn't learn it by man. I didn't learn it by any other preacher. I got it by revelation. And the Lord showed me that when he gave me his peace and he gave me his joy when I got born again, I can actually use all of those, those two fruit, fruit, peace and joy, to overcome every negative emotion. See, peace and joy are feeling fruit. They make you feel good. <laughs> They're called fruit of the Spirit. And God gave them to me. And when the Lord Jesus came in my room and taught me this... I have not had another down day since then, ever. I don't. Rachel's 26 years old. You can ask my daughter. She's never seen her daddy have a stress-filled day, a worry-filled day, discouraged day. I refuse to have them. When I found out what the blood of Jesus did for me concerning my emotions, uh -uh, I don't live on an emotional roller coaster. I'm not a yo-yo Christian up day, one day and down the next. And I'm telling you good news because I had plenty of up and down days before I learned this. So if you've had plenty of up and down days, you're hearing some good news right now. Amen. Amen. You take something. This isn't part of my message, not in my notes or anything. This is just coming by the Spirit of God. You can live above and not beneath. Amen. You can live going over, not going under. You can soar with the eagles and not flounder with the turkeys. <laughs> you can. He made a way. Now, when people hear me say that, man, you, you haven't had a down day in years. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. I've passed up a lot of marvelous opportunities. I've had moments because nobody is void of the moment. I have the moments when the thoughts of depression, the thoughts of discouragement, the thoughts of stress, the thoughts of where I have the moments, but I don't let them stay. Because when the moment comes and the temptation comes, I don't yield to it. I yield to it is written. That's what Jesus yielded to when the thoughts came to him. Come on. Wow. Listen to some other translations here. The Berkeley translation says he's the, the, uh, the cause and completer of our faith. Sanitary translation says he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Phillips translation says he's the source and the goal of our faith. Uh, the Bible in basic English says he's the guide and the end. He guides me in my faith and the end of my faith. Um, the Coney Bear translation, he said, he's the forerunner. The one that, the forerunner is the one that goes and shows you the way, you know. Forerunner. Uh, he's the forerunner and the finisher of our faith. Good Speed translation says he's the leader and example of our faith. The Weymouth says he's the leader and perfecter of, of our faith. The Amplified says uh, he's the leader and source of our faith, giving the first incentive of our, of our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. So when I looked up this, this, okay, here's the two things I'm told to do in these two verses, looking unto Jesus and consider him. This is going to determine whether I walk by faith and live by faith or not. Right here, these two things, looking unto Jesus and considering him. 
lest you get weary and faint in your minds. So I looked up looking unto Jesus, and the, the uh, Greek word looking means to consider attentively. In other words, it's talking about giving your full attention to Jesus, looking attentively. But then I saw something. It wasn't a root word. This, this Greek word, looking attentively, comes from two words. They're both root words. The one means to get off of. It means a departure from, to get away from something, or a separation. The other root word means to stare. Well, it says we're to look attentively to look at Jesus. So when it's saying looking to stare at Jesus, that means you have to get your attention off of everything that's trying to lead you the other direction, all the tests and the trials according to verse 1, the sins and everything else that's trying to beset you. you got to get your attention and focus off the realities of life, the facts of life that are contradictory to God's Word, and you have to have a departure from them and then stare at your answer. He is the answer for everything in life. This isn't religion, folks. This is a relationship with a living, risen Savior, Lord, Redeemer, Deliverer, Healer, Financier. He's whatever you need Him to be. So, so this says, uh, if we want our faith to work for us, because He's the author and perfecter of our faith, then we have to always look to Jesus, whether it's to receive something from God or whether it's to stop the devil's attacks. We always have to base our faith in Jesus and what He's done for us. Which means the source of our faith has to be the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Because Jesus and the Word are one. Right? If you want your faith to work, you have to make a decision that God's Word is the foundation of everything you believe. Remember we started this morning, we're going to talk about our belief system. What do we believe in and why are we believing what we believe? So if you want your faith to work, you have to make a decision that God's Word is going to be the foundation, the basis of everything I believe. It has to be the truth that I use when I make day-to-day, moment-to-moment decisions. And especially when things don't go so well. What, what am I using to decide this, this thing that's fake? Is it truth? Or is it just facts and realities that are coming against me and are coming against the truth? Remember John 17, in fact, turn over there. I want to read a couple other verses besides the one I quote. John 17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is truth. His word never changes. So when it says by his stripe or blow or bruise you are healed... That means you are, regardless of what you feel like, look like, or what anybody says. You are. So where do you attach that belief system? Are you attaching it to the way you feel or what a doctor said? Or are you attaching it to, oh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to have a departure from them. I'm to get away from them. I'm to separate from that, and I'm to stare at the truth. Jesus, word, truth, all synonymous. Hmm. All right, so look at John 17 here. John 17, Jesus made this prayer in verse 15. I'm not praying that you should take that. He's talking to his father. I'm not praying that you should take them out of the world, but you would guard them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Everybody say the world. They're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. Say the world. So sanctify or purify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But truth over what? Context, truth over what the world dictates is true. So the world is going to try and tell you, well, here's the facts, here's the realities. This is just the way things are going to be. You just have to accept it. It's hereditary, it's genetic, it's this, it's that, it's the way it's going to be. No, facts and realities are subject to change. God's word never changes. This is what has held my feet to the ground all these years. This is why I'm still out preaching after all these years. And I, I, you know, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on the Word. I, I haven't chased fads after fads. 
I haven't chased after this doctrine and that doctrine. I've stayed with the truth because this is what keeps you solid, stable, strong, happy, full of God's life. This is the truth that makes you free. So if God's word, man, if I could get something in Christians everywhere I go more than anything else, this would probably be it. If I could just get people to thirst and hunger after the word of God every day of their life and actually, and actually come to the realization that, you know, I need this word as much as I need this meal, this food. It will keep my body alive, but it doesn't change me. This changes me. And if I could get this truth, I, I ask the Lord to help me all the time. Lord, help me get this truth out. Of course, he wants it out more than I do, but I'm still praying. Lord, help, help use this earthen vessel to speak it in a different way, a clearer way, uh, a more palatable way, whatever, so that people can see, you know, I, I've just treated the Bible like, you know, I need to read it instead of treating it like, it's my lifeline. It's the word of life. It's the bread of heaven. It's my portion forever. So my assignment tonight is to help you get there. Because I know this is what causes it. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. But the faith is in God and Jesus, in the word, in the blood, in the power of God. Our faith has to be in what God says to have faith in. So I'm going to take you through some scriptures, probably ones that all of you, if, if, most of you, maybe all of you already have heard. But remember, faith comes by hearing, faith leaves by not hearing. So it doesn't matter how many times we've heard a verse of scripture. There's more life to, in there. There's more in, endowment. There's more uh, impartation. There's more life. Let's turn over to Psalm 100. I'm going to have you turn to some different psalms here real quick. I, want to, I just really want to get this in you. Psalm 100, verse number 5. For the Lord is good. And boy, we could all shout amen on that one, right? <laughs> the Lord is good. Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Now watch this. And His truth, that's His word, endures to a few generations. What? Oh, you know what that literally means? It means it's for the teen generation and the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings and the 40-somethings and the Sanitarians, and it doesn't matter what generation you are. This is not something that's generational just for some and not for others. No, this is truth for every generation. Man. And it is going to endure whether people like it or not, accept it or not. It's still going to be enduring. And thank God, God has a remnant, you and me, that we're going to believe it. And we're going to cause it to endure even through these last days that could wax worse and worse. The Bible tells us things that are going to wax worse. We haven't seen the worst yet. But guess what? While the things are waxing worse and worse, the brighter is going to get brighter. The light is going to shine more. We are going to see a move of God like we've never seen on planet Earth. And it is going to usher in, watch my lips, be billions of people into the kingdom of God. Because they're going to see such a move of God's power and a move of God's demonstrations for healings, miraculous creations of body parts, all the stuff that's going to be happening. And it is going to bring notice. People are going to notice all over the world. It's going to spread like wildfire. That's why when people question, well, you know, you guys have been saying Jesus is coming for years. He's coming for years. You know, it's probably going to be not in my lifetime. They don't realize how quickly something can happen. That when all of a sudden all hell's breaking loose in the earth and God raises up just a remnant that all of a sudden starts operating in a power that nobody's ever seen except from the day of Pentecost and, you know, the early church. But now it's, this is, we're going to far exceed that in these last days. The gl glory of this latter house is going to be much greater. And so we're going to see a move where God starts demonstrating mighty miracles and healings and people are going to take note. What? What? Did you hear what happened at Faith Family? Yeah, I got to go. I, I need a miracle. 
and, and things are going to explode, and it's going to happen overnight. And in a few months' time, there will be millions and millions and millions. And then in another year or two, there will be billions. And all of a sudden, Jesus will say, hey, I'm up in the clouds. Come up and join me. And we're out of here. And then seven years of hell on earth when the wrath of God is poured out. Thank God the Bible said you and I are delivered from the wrath of God. We don't have to stay here when the wrath is being poured out. Thank God we don't because it ain't going to be no fun. <laughs> but man, we got a time right now to live, folks, and to gear up. And that's why we, we need preaching like this and the things your pastor teaches stuff. We need to hear the truth that energizes us and gets us up. And bless God, let me get on my horse. Let's go. Yes. Hallelujah. Turn over to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Verse 2 says, For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord, that's God's word, the truth of the Lord endures how long? It's going to endure forever. Now, I, I get real excited about the 119th Psalm because there's a couple of verses there I want to point out real quick. Turn to Psalm 119, just two chapters over. Psalm 119, verse number 89, forever, O Lord. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is spoken, settled, established, and will never change. It's forever settled. In other words, if God said it, that settles it. I remember we had a saying back in the 70s when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and turned on the things of God and uh, started going to Pentecostal church. And all I remember hearing people say, man, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And finally it, it dawned on me, no, God said it, and that settled it. Now, I knew what we meant. God said it. I believe it now settled in my life. But we got to realize that when God speaks something, it's forever settled. And that if we'll latch on to that, it won't let go of us. It will not return void. Will not. Man. So, and then now in this same 119th Psalm, let me show you this verse here. Uh, go to verse number uh, 160. Verse 160, Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. I love this statement, the entirety of your word is truth. A lot of people want to say God's word is true when it lines up with what they want to believe. All right, so I believe Jesus is the Savior. But now you, you people that preach, it, he's a healer today like when he walked the earth. No, no, Jesus is not a healer today. That all, healing and miracles all ceased when the last apostle died. The only thing they forgot to recognize is Jesus is the last apostle. And he's not dead. <laughs> no, Jesus is the same yesterday, today. Yesterday, by the way, refers to when he walked the earth because you have to have something to compare it to. Yesterday when he walked the earth, today, now, and then forever means tomorrow, next week, next month, and forever. He's the same. So the entirety of your word is truth, meaning Jesus the healer is true. Jesus the financer is true. Jesus the peace giver is true. Everything that Jesus accomplished as the last Adam... The reason he's not called the second Adam, there's not one scripture that calls him the second Adam. So don't ever call him the second Adam. He's not called the second Adam. He doesn't even want to be referred to the second Adam. He's the last. Because we don't need a second or a third or a fourth. We needed a last. And the last means he did it once and for all and restored us back to Garden of Eden state of living. Before the first Adam messed up. So Jesus, the last Adam, gave me the entirety of redemption, restored me back. I mean, there's only one other enemy that's not been put under death, and that's, I mean, put underfoot, that's physical death. The last enemy that's going to be put under is physical death. So really, I mean, you know, if you want to look at this side of it, the worst thing a, the devil can do to a Christian is kill you and send you into the presence of Jesus quicker. That's the worst. <laughs> 
Now, you don't even have to let him do that because God's given you authority over serpents and scorpions, which if you study the context, it's demons and devils and evil spirits. He's given you dominion authority over that and over all the power of the enemy, which now includes Satan himself, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Did God say nothing or not? Then nothing can hurt me if I believe. And I got to examine myself. What am I believing right now? What am I saying right now in the midst of this fire? What am I saying? Huh? Am I like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, come on, Jesus, let's party in the midst of the fire? That's what you ought to be saying. The entirety of your word is truth. So when, for example, when God says, do not fear, and you find yourself worried, that's a form of fear. You find yourself stressed out. That's a form of fear. So is the entirety of his word truth? When he says do not fear, the word fear is found just about 800 times in the Bible, if you study it out. 800 times. About 630 sometimes, 33 times or whatever. It's actually a reference to a historical event, like when the... Uh, uh, Edomites feared the Israelites and when they were afraid and all and and so the word fear in some form is used approximately 800 times and a lot the majority of those times uh, the 630 or whatever times uh, it's not talking about you and me but there's 167 times that the Bible clearly tells you and me do not fear. 167 times. I remember, I, this is a little side journey real quick, but I, I was on Facebook one day and somebody posted, you know you can't believe everything on Facebook? <laughs> Just in case you didn't get that revelation yet. And I'm talking about from Christians that post things that really sound really religious. This, these Christians, and I've seen it posted several times. In fact, I just saw it the other day again after another year. But somebody posted, did you know that there are 365 fear knots in the Bible? And they make it sound really good. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds so good. Wow, I have one fear knot for every day of the year, 365. But it's not true. There's only 167. I have personally studied out every one of them. So you're not going to convince me otherwise. I've looked at every single time the Bible mentions fear, afraid, terrified, no matter what form of fear, I've looked at and studied them all. But if God says, do not fear 10 times, that's enough. If he says it 50 times, that's plenty. If he says it 100 times, that's a whole lot. But if he says it 167 times, do not fear, then you and I do not have to. We do not have to allow ourselves to worry. We do not have to allow ourselves to get stressed about anything. The entirety of your word is truth. Jump over to the 138th Psalm. Is anybody getting anything? Man, this is so good. I'm just going all different directions. I've, I've stepped into a higher anointing. I'm teaching by s- s- seeing things in the spirit realm as I teach. And it's like, you guys are just sucking it out of me, man. It's just like, I am having fun right now. <laughs> Glory to God. Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word. Now he connects the truth to the word. We know he's talking about the word being the truth and the truth being the word. He says you've magnified your word or the truth above all your name. Let me ask you this. Is there any name higher than the name of Jesus? And yet he said I've magnified magnified your word above all your name. When he says all your name, he's he's taking the the name of Jesus that incorporates every name of God. You can talk about all what we call redemptive names of God under the old covenant. The Jews don't call them names. They call them attributes. And I can understand where they're coming from. But anyway, whether you want to call an attribute or a name, all the different names or attributes of God from Jehovah Jireh to Jehovah Nissi to Jehovah Rapha, all the different ones, all of those together, God said, now I've magnified my truth 
above all of that. In other words, listen, there is nothing more true than what God says. So when you and I have to make decisions, our belief system, it has to be based on truth and truth alone if we want faith to work. Are you with me? So how can you do that if this truth is not in you? Once a week going to church doesn't cut it, friends. That's not daily bread. That's weekly bread. <laughs> Jesus didn't pray, give us this day our weekly bread, right? Jump over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse number 14. You know, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. But then verse 14 tells us the Word became flesh. And we know that that is talking about Jesus. And the end says he was full of grace and full of truth. When you are full, that means there is nothing else except grace and truth. All right? Now jump over seven more chapters to John chapter 8. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is full of truth. He is grace. He is truth. All right, let's look here at John 8. And this is the one that I harp on to people all the time everywhere I where I go, these thir verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews that believed on him, if you abide in my word, live, dwell, stay present tense in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and then you shall know the truth. You're not going to know the truth if you don't do what verse 31 says. But if you do it, you'll know the truth, and that's when truth makes you free. The reason so many Christians get discouraged is they hear the truth, they try and act on it. When it doesn't work, they think it doesn't work. They give up. They never knew it. They just heard it. And so they thought they would try it because, well, it worked for my pastor. And it worked for brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. And I heard this Christian in the church on the praise and worship team. They said they did that and it worked for them. So why didn't it work for me? Maybe because you didn't know it. The Bible says ne never says, but be ye triers of the word. Says, be doers. A doer is one that sticks with it even when it doesn't look like it's working. All right, there was one psalm that I didn't take you to back when we were in Psalm 119. I'm going to take you back there now. I want to show you this. Psalm 119, verse 105. This is so good. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light to my path. So we're talking about walking by faith, which includes your feet and your pathway. Living by faith would include your pathway. So he says here, your word is a lamp to my feet. Of course, the New Testament, when talking about the devil, it says that he puts snares out tries to snare you. When a trapper puts a snare out, he's hoping that the prey will step in it. So when the devil's putting out his traps to try and get you to step in, but you're using God's word to be a lamp to your feet, you can see everywhere you're stepping. So you're not going to step in his traps. So when he tells you, oh, you feel that lump? You must be getting this. Oh, I'm not stepping in that. No, Jesus bore that for me. I'm not having that in my body. And when the car breaks down and you know from a natural standpoint, we don't have the money to, to spend to fix on the car right now. No, nope, not going to step in that trap. Uh-uh, God provides all my needs according to his riches and glory. Hallelujah. His word is a lamp so you know where you're stepping. Not only that, it's a light to your path. That means you're going the direction God wants you to go. You're able to see where you're supposed to be going. And if you get off that path and things start getting dark, Get back on the path. Let God's word be the light to show you the way. Are you with me? Hallelujah. God's word, a light, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So tonight before we close, I want to go over to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And most people know the uh, um, famous verse, you know, Hebrews chapter, did I, what chapter did I say? 
I say six, I meant 11.6. Hebrews 11.6, most people know Hebrews 11.6, that it's impossible to please God without faith. So I just want to go here just for, just for a little bit. Um, I don't even know what time I started, so, uh, you know, if I go too long, just wave me down, Pastor, or something, you know. But <laughs> just went right over his head. I, I won't go there. I won't, I won't try and explain it to him. So, um, so <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, Look, we're going to read verses 5 and 6 together. Um, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not even experience physical death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had a testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So verse 5, you know, when you talk about verse 5, there's not many cases in the Bible where someone escapes physical death. But this is one of them. He did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean he was not found? Where did his body go? I heard somebody say to heaven, no, it couldn't have gone to heaven. You can't, you can't contradict scripture. The Bible says that the human body is mortal and it cannot go to heaven without being made immortality first. So it didn't go to heaven. So where did Enoch's body go? You're looking like you want me to answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a clue where it went. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can think is the Bible says God's a consuming fire, so maybe this is the first legitimate cremation in the Bible. <laughs> All right, never mind. We'll go right on from there. So, so anyway, uh, the point I'm wanting to make here is that, <laughs> oh boy, Enoch faced uh, his faith caused him to escape physical death. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, was not found because God had taken him. It said that his faith gave a testimony that pleased God. And man, when I saw that years ago, I said, I want to please God. I want that to be my testimony. And so in my search, I actually I went from Genesis to Revelation because I thought, you know, I remember reading some other verses that talk about pleasing God. I want to learn everything the Bible says about pleasing God, and I want to do it. I want to live in it. I want to walk in it. Now, when I went through all the scriptures, so far all I can find is 15 from Genesis to Revelation. If there's another one or two, maybe I'll eventually run across them, but I've went through the whole scriptures a number of times trying to find every place where where something gives God pleasure, where he's pleased with that. And I could only find 15 things, and because of the time, I'm not going to go through those things. But, but one of the 15 is right here, is Enoch's faith brought God pleasure, and without that faith, it's impossible to please him. So when I saw that, faith pleases God. Remember this morning I gave you 29 reasons why faith is important? You could add this to that 29, make it 30, because <laughs> it made the top 15 things that please God. <laughs> but it says here, Enoch had a testimony. I looked up this word testimony. It's actually a Greek word that's used in... Um, in judgment halls and, and in uh, lawyer pleading, that kind of stuff. And it actually means uh, to be a witness. It means to give evidence. It means to, uh, to bear record of something. But it means this, to be well reported of. To be well reported of. Enoch was well reported of is what it's saying when it's saying that he had a testimony that he pleased God. He was well reported. What does that mean? That means other people talked about his lifestyle. See, Enoch walked by faith and that faith produced fruit in his life. Otherwise, you wouldn't be saying, 
oh, look, you know, Enoch, uh, man, God's really blessing him. And look, he's blessing his body, his health, and he's blessing his, uh, his marriage, and he's blessing this, he's blessed. You wouldn't say that unless you saw the blessing of God and fruits of God in a man's life. And for people to be talking about Enoch's life, that's what it's mentioning here, that he had a testimony. He had people, other people, talking about his life. And that pleased God. But without, now listen, the next verse, without faith is talking about without that kind of faith. The Bible was never written in chapter and verse. Verses have been added to try and help us reference things, but sometimes it hurts us from seeing things. Without faith, what kind of faith? Faith that has a testimony. Faith that shows other people that what you're believing is real and that you're not just a Sunday Christian. You're not just a Christian when you go to Faith Family Church. But you're a Christian at work. You're a Christian everywhere. You're, this is your life. This is, I mean, I, I can't, when, when somebody asked me not too long ago, it almost threw me for a loop. When, when are you going to retire, Brother Larry? I said, retire from what? They said, you know, from, from preaching. They were acting like it was a job. I said, this isn't a job. This is a call. I said, when I studied Moses' life, he did more from the age of 80 to 120 than he did his first 80 years. Do you think I'm going to let him beat me? <laughs> he wasn't under as good a covenant as I am. He didn't have the greater one living on the inside of him. He didn't have the spirit of God quickening his body like I do. Are you kidding me? If Jesus tarries, which I don't think he's going to, we're not going to probably get to. But if he does, you'll be seeing me way past 120, baby. And I'll be doing more for God then than I'm doing my first 66 years of life here. Amen. Glory to God. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe he is and that is a rewarder of those that diligently. Listen, this says he that comes to God, and that's talking about coming in faith, right? That's the context. So it's talking about coming in faith. So what he's saying is, I'm going to talk to you about faith that pleases God and what you got to believe. He said, he that cometh to God must believe. But then it tells us what we have to believe. It tells us we have to believe he is, not he was, not he will be. I've got to believe he is. Hold your place here. We're going to look at another verse, come back here and close. But hold your place and... Uh, Go with me over to Exodus 3, because we just read, here's the kind of faith that pleases God. This is what Enoch did. He believed God is present tense right now. Whatever I need him to be, this is what he is. And so now God says, now, if you want to please me, uh, he that cometh to God must believe he is. And by the way, People have taken that verse, well, he that cometh to God, that's talking about a sinner, you know, when a sinner comes. It is not. It's written to Hebrew Christians. It's written to people that have already come to God. So that means after you come to God, you believed he was, you believed he is, so you got born again. But now this is actually saying you can still come to God and believe he is more than just a savior. Now you can partake of more grace than just saving grace. More than just save from sin and, and partaking of righteousness grace. Now I can believe that he is more than just a savior. I can believe he's a healer. I can believe he's a Holy Ghost baptized. I can believe whatever he says he is, that he is. Not that he was, not that he will be, but that he is. So when, when Moses uh, was uh, talking to God and God was telling him, I am going to use you to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. Now Moses, this is what I want you to tell the children of Israel. Because Moses asked, who do I tell them sent me? Now, look at verse 14. This is God's response. God said to Moses, this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am that I am. And then he said this, this is what you say to the children of Israel. I am sent you. Wow, I am. Okay. Not I was. Not I might be or will be, could be. I am. Present tense, I am. That I am. So when we find out that God says, 
I am something, then whatever he says he is, we've got to believe he is. So, so what do you need God to be in your life? If you need him to be your savior, he says, I am that, I am. But if you need him to be your healer, he'll say, I am that, I am. And if you need him to be your peace, he says, I am that, I am. How about your wisdom? I am that, I am. How about your financier? I am that, I am. So he lets you know it doesn't matter spiritual, physical, financial, emotional, marital, whatever you need it to be, he'll be there for that. I am that very thing you need right now. That's why he told the Apostle Paul when Paul kept crying out, Lord, help me, help me, help me. I keep getting attacked by all these people and all this stuff's going on. And God said, hey, listen, my grace is sufficient. And when Paul got the revelation that his grace was sufficient, you know what Paul said after that? He said, all right, bring it on, devil. I just found out God's grace is enough to put me over in every situation, so it doesn't matter what you bring. God's grace is bigger. That's why you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy. We all need that because we don't deserve it. And then find grace. This is written to Christians that have already got saving grace, but there's more grace. Oh, so I can find healing grace, and I can find prosperity grace, and I can find peace, and I, I can find any marital grace. I, I can find emotional grace. I can find mental stability grace. I can find any grace that I need because it's all the entirety of truth that's available to us and endures to every generation and will never pass away. Isn't that good? All right, let's, let's go back and close then. Hebrews eleven six, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe he is. I remember the day, and some of y'all heard my testimony, you know, the first 22 years of my life, I had an incurable disease. It wasn't a terminal disease. The doctors, when they diagnosed me, at the age of six or seven years old, and they said, you know what, you, this kid's got a disease. We, you know, nobody's ever been cured of it, but it's not terminal. If we put him on medication, we have three different meds he can take every day for the rest of his life, and it'll alleviate a lot of the attacks because I, I was allergic to over 120 different things, 120 different things that would cause different allergic reactions in my body. And, and I was an athlete, and so if I got attacked, it would lay me up in bed for a day or two, and I'd have to miss school, I'd have to miss ball games, I'd have to miss things. So I took the medication religiously because it helped me. Now, there were times, even taking the medication three times a day, every day of my life, till I was 22 years old, uh, there were still attacks that came, and the medications didn't stop it. So it, it, was, it was no fun having a disease that medical science says there's no cure for. Nobody's ever been cured of. And so... Um, I remember when I finally came to a church like this one. What a breath of fresh air, Pastor. What a breath of fresh air you guys were. Because it was just like you guys, this pastor, Pastor Curtis Bradford, uh, Odessa, Florida. And I walked in that church and I started hearing about the real Jesus. You know, the one that's alive and, and he's still a healer today and he's still a miracle worker today and, and there's nothing incurable for him. He's a doctor that doesn't practice medicine. He, he's perfect at it. And so I started hearing about this Dr. Jesus and, and then I found out, well, okay, if, if he bore my sickness on the cross and that I'm already by his stripes, I'm already healed, then why am I sick? It didn't make sense to me. And then I realized, well, you know what? The Bible says right here, Hebrews eleven six. I have to believe he is. Not that he will be when I feel a difference. I have to believe he is. Not that he was, because he was for other people. Even in the church that I was going to now, this great church that I was going to, I was actually seeing miracles with my eyes. I was actually seeing crippled people totally made whole. I saw, I saw a Vietnam vet come in off the street into our church service and walk up to the front. And this guy... He had gone through three or four back surgeries and he was bent over and he was in pain. And I watched God touch him, straighten him up, make his back whole. 
and he was a drunk. He didn't deserve it. But God healed him right in front of my eyes because that guy decided to call on God and believe he was. Please, God, I believe you are. My pastor laid hands on him. A miracle took place. I watched those things happen before I was ever healed, but then I learned the word. My pastor stuck with me, kept preaching the truth, and he said, if you'll believe he is, you'll be healed just like anybody you read in the Bible because he is the same today. And I, I remember the day I believed he is. I took hold of that healing power into my body. Nothing changed immediately. It was actually a number of days later before I ever felt any difference. But the day that I believed he is was the day I got healed. When I latched onto it like a bulldog on a new bone, I took hold of it and said, okay, I'm healed. Come hell or high water, nothing's going to change me from ever saying that again. I'm healed. I thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Now, I don't ever tell anybody to do this. I threw all my medication away. Uh, I never tell anybody to do that, especially if somebody comes up and asks me, Brother Larry, should I take, uh, throw away my medicine? If they ask me that, it just proves they're not in a position to throw it away. But I didn't have to ask anybody. I knew that I knew that I knew. Did I suffer for a few days after that? Oh, yeah. In fact, some of the worst attacks I've ever had in my life happened during those next few days. All that did was the light was shining the darkness, and I saw what the devil was doing. He was trying to make me think I wasn't healed when in fact I knew the truth that was changing the facts. The facts were real. Reality was I had a disease in my body, but truth was Jesus bore that disease and I didn't have to allow it to stay anymore. So when I hung on to that truth, it was actually about seven days later when all of a sudden every symptom left my body and I have been healed. I've not had a drop of medication since. I have been healed for, well, that was back in the 70s when I got healed of that. I've been healed ever since. And it's because I just believed he is. Kind of sounds like simple childlike faith. Well, it is. But it's like a simple little child just believes daddy, whatever daddy said. Even if it doesn't look good. I remember when I was standing at three years of age on the dock. My dad had built a dock, just bought property, was building a house for us to live in. I grew up in this house in Odessa, Florida from the age of three on. And I was standing on the dock. Dad was down in the water. Dad was six foot tall and he was five foot of water and I was about three foot. Four foot maybe. And uh, Dad said, Larry, jump and I'll catch you. Now, I didn't know how to swim yet. And I saw that water. I saw it was way above my head. What do you think I thought? Do you think I sat there and talked myself out of it? Well, what if I jump and he doesn't catch me? What if I jump and he tries to catch me and misses me? What if I jump and he get, grabs me, but I slip through his hand? I can't swim. I'll drown. Nope, didn't think any of those thoughts. When Daddy said, jump and I'll catch you, simple childlike faith did not think anything except Daddy said. That settled it. I jumped. And Daddy's word came to pass. That's what I did that day when I got healed of that incurable disease. That's what I've done ever since then when I've been attacked. I've been attacked so many times from so many different tumors and growths and, and disease and arthritis and brusitis and tendonitis. I've had so many things attack my body, but I don't allow them to stay because I believe he is. And I'm not changing my belief. That's why when I talk to the things, like when they attack my body, like when I had a, some of y'all remember the story when I had real severe pain in my joint and just shooting pain up and down my legs and stuff, I would talk to the pain and said, I would say, just like it's a person, I would say, you know, you can't stay. You know, you're not changing me. I'm changing you. Because see, what I am is I'm healed. And what you are is you're sick and, and pain and you can't stay what, what I am because what I am is not changing, so you're out of here. Did I have to stand against that for months? Oh, yeah. Sometimes to the point where it woke me up and I could hardly sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I'd get out of bed, and I'd go out in the living room so I wouldn't affect, bother my wife's sleep, and I'd go out there and say, hey, you, you heard what I said, didn't you? You're not staying because I'm healed, and you're not changing me. I'm changing you. I'm already healed, and you can't change that. What was I believing the whole time? He is. He is. I believe he is. And therefore, he's a rewarder of those that diligently... And that's what you're doing when you're speaking the word and you're acting like it's, you're just diligently seeking 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the rest is added to you, right? Wow. It's simple. You know, what I preach tonight is simple. It's easy. It's really not complicated intellectual-wise. But I'll, I'll admit from a natural standpoint, sometimes when you're standing against lots of pain and the symptoms, that the body screams and it doesn't seem easy. But you know what's made it easy for me? And not that I have a high threshold of pain, because I don't. <laughs> but when, it, when it's been painful and it's hurt, you know what I've said? Rather than saying, gosh, this is, why is this so hard? Rather than going there, even though the thoughts try and come, I'll go to say, Jesus, your yoke is easy. This is easy. This is a piece of cake. Thank you, Jesus. Right in the middle when I'm hurting and when I'm feeling like crying. I'm saying, no, no, I'm yoked up to Jesus. This is easy. Thank you, Lord God. I walk this out. I walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Jesus. And I always win. Like the Apostle Paul, the Lord has delivered me out of them 